step into the chapel. Amen. Part 1 Chapter 1 Monday, 3.05 a.m. There is an hour known intimately to all who rouse to meet it, a time when darkness sheds fully the cloak of twilight and the streets fall still and silent, a time when shadows convene, become one, dissolve. A time when those who suffer disbelieve the dawn. Every city has its quarter, its neon Golgotha. In Philadelphia, it is known as South Street. This night, while most of the city of brotherly love slept, while the rivers flowed mutely to the sea, the flesh peddler rushed down South Street like a dry, blistering wind. Between Third and Fourth Streets he pushed through a wrought iron gate, walked down a narrow alleyway, and entered a private club called Paradise. The handful of patrons scattered about the room met his gaze, then immediately averted their eyes. In the peddler's stare they saw a portal to their own blackened souls, and knew that if they engaged him, even for a moment, the understanding would be far too much to bear. To those who knew his trade, the peddler was an enigma, but not a puzzle anyone was eager to solve. He was a big man, well over six feet tall, with a broad carriage and large, coarse hands that promised reckoning to those who crossed him. He had wheat-colored hair and cold green eyes, eyes that would spark to bright cobalt in candlelight, eyes that could take in the horizon with one glance, missing nothing. Above his right eye was a shiny keloid scar, a ridge of ropey tissue in the shape of an inverted V. He wore a long black leather coat that strained against the thick muscles in his back. He had come to the club five nights in a row now, and this night he would meet his buyer. Appointments were not easily made at Paradise. Friendships were unknown. The peddler sat at the back of the dank basement room at a table that, although not reserved for him, had become his by default. Even though Paradise was settled with players of every dark stripe and pedigree, it was clear that the peddler was of another breed. The speakers behind the bar offered Mingus, Miles, Monk, the ceiling, soiled Chinese lanterns and rotary fans covered in wood-grain contact paper. Cones of blueberry incense burned, wetting the cigarette smoke, graying the air into a raw, fruity sweetness. At 3.10, two men entered the club. One was the buyer, the other his guardian. They both met the eyes of the peddler and knew. The buyer, whose name was Gideon Pratt, was a squat, balding man in his late fifties, with flushed cheeks, restless gray eyes, and jowls that hung like melted wax. He wore an ill-fitting three-piece suit and had fingers long gnarled by arthritis. His breath was fetid, his teeth ochre and spare. Behind him walked a bigger man, bigger even than the peddler. He wore mirrored sunglasses and a denim duster. 
His face and neck were ornamented with an elaborate web of tamoko, the Maori tribal tattoos. Without a word, the three men gathered, then walked down a short hallway to a supply room. The back room at Paradise was cramped and hot, packed with boxes of off-brand liquor, a pair of scarred metal desks, and a mildewed, ragged sofa. An old jukebox flickered carbon-blue light. Once in the room, door closed, the large man, who went by the street name of Diablo, roughly padded down the peddler for weapons and wires, attempting to establish a stratum of power. As he was doing this, the peddler noted the three-word tattoo at the base of Diablo's neck. It read, Mongrel for Life. He also noticed the butt of a chrome Smith & Wesson revolver in the large man's waistband. Satisfied that the peddler was unarmed and wore no listening devices, Diablo stepped away, behind Pratt, crossed his arms, and observed. What do you have for me? Pratt asked. The peddler considered the man before answering him. They had reached the moment that occurs in every transaction, the instant when the purveyor must come clean and lay his wares upon the velvet. The peddler reached slowly into his leather coat. There would be no furtive moves here, and removed a pair of Polaroid pictures. He handed them to Gideon Pratt. Both photographs were of fully clothed, suggestively posed teenage black girls. The one called Tanya sat on the front stoop of her row house, blowing a kiss to the photographer. Alicia, her sister, vamped on the beach in Wildwood. As Pratt scrutinized the photos, his cheeks flared crimson for a moment, his breath hitched in his chest. Just beautiful, he said. Diablo glanced at the snapshots, registering no reaction. He turned his gaze back to the peddler. What is her name? Pratt asked, holding up one of the photos. Tanya. The peddler replied, Tanya, Pratt repeated, separating the syllables as if to sort the essence of the girl. He handed one of the pictures back, then glanced at the photograph in his hand. She is adorable, he added, a mischievous one. I can tell. Pratt touched the photograph, running his finger gently over the glossy surface. He seemed to drift for a moment, lost in some reverie, then put the picture into his pocket. He snapped back to the moment, back to the business at hand. When? Now, the peddler replied. Pratt reacted with surprise and delight. He had not expected this. She's here? The peddler nodded. Where? asked Pratt. Nearby. Gideon Pratt straightened his tie, adjusted the vest over his bulging stomach, smoothed what little hair he had. He took a deep breath, finding his axis, then gestured to the door. Shall we? The peddler nodded again, then looked to Diablo for permission. Diablo waited a moment, further cementing his status, then stepped to the side. 
The three men exited the club, walked across South Street to Oriana Street. They continued down Oriana, emerging into a small parking lot between the buildings. In the lot were two vehicles, a rusted van with smoked glass windows and a late-model Chrysler. Diablo put a hand up, strode forward, and looked into the windows of the Chrysler. He turned, nodded, and Pratt and the peddler stepped up to the van. You have the payment? the peddler asked. Gideon Pratt tapped his pocket. The peddler looked briefly between the two men, then reached into the pocket of his coat and retrieved a set of keys. Before he could insert the key into the van's passenger door, he dropped them to the ground. Both Pratt and Diablo instinctively looked down, momentarily distracted. In the following carefully considered instant, the peddler bent down to retrieve the keys. Instead of picking them up, he closed his hand around the crowbar he had placed behind the right front tire earlier in the evening. When he arose, he spun on his heels and slammed the steel bar into the center of Diablo's face, exploding the man's nose into a thick scarlet vapor of blood and ruined cartilage. It was a surgically delivered blow, perfectly leveraged, one designed to cripple and incapacitate but not kill. With his left hand, the peddler removed the Smith & Wesson revolver from Diablo's waistband. Dazed, momentarily bewildered, operating on animal instinct instead of reason, Diablo charged the peddler, his field of vision now clouded with blood and involuntary tears. His forward motion was met with the butt of the Smith & Wesson, swung with the full force of the peddler's considerable strength. The blow sent six.